Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And welcome to episode number 61 for the week of September the 14th, 2018. What's up, Adam? It's the weekend and we're recording. This is a little bit different for us because normally we record on Thursday nights. But this week we snuck in two movies. We saw Mandy on Thursday and then we saw The Predator on Friday. Yes, we did, and I'm excited to talk about both of them for different reasons. Very different reasons. <laughs> but before we get into that, we're back here in the studio recording, and uh, it's actually a Saturday afternoon, which is a new thing for us. We don't usually record on a Saturday afternoon. We have a brand new segment called What Are We Drinking? <laughs> this segment's a lot harder to do during the week, so we can yes. do it on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Adam, what are we drinking? We're drinking Elvis juice that was brought to us by BrewDog. BrewDog, if you've never seen the reality show, are two Scottish punks. They call their stuff punk, brewed by punks, for punks, or whatever. But they're set up just south of here in Canal Winchester, Ohio. And this Elvis juice is a grapefruit-infused IPA, which I snuck because Roger yes. does not like IPAs. I hate IPAs. Ah, I just can't stand the bitter taste of them. But it's got. I love grapefruit juice, so that kind of masks that IPA hoppy taste or whatever. So it's not bad. I like it. I like the Elvis juice. And it's brewed right here in town, just a little bit of south town. So a little promo for them, for yeah. the uh, for the BrewDog guys. So anyway, um, what's been what else has been happening this week, Adam? Anything exciting or anything going on? What's what's been going on, man? I've just been getting my affairs in order. Oh yes, so that I can leave town and hit Fantastic Fest. It starts this Thursday. Well, you've got to be stoked. They released the third wave of the lineup, and it's just it's going to be fantastic. Literally, haha, pun intended, from start to finish. On paper, this is their best lineup they've ever had. So we'll have to see how these movies pan out. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for me, just busy stuff around the house, busy stuff with the business. Um, but I was able to slip in a early Friday morning viewing of Mandy, uh, which is our second film with Nicolas Cage that we're going to talk about today. And then, of course, Friday night instead of Thursday night, it worked out in the schedule where Friday night... We went and saw Predator, so uh, I'm excited to talk about both of those. So I think we ought to just jump right into our Predator review. So you're listening to the Film Coterie. Why don't we take a little sneak peek at Predator? Hey, we have a word. Let me guess. He's done something crazy. Show me again, I'm gonna break your neck. Welcome to the Looney Bus. McKenna. Nebraska Williams. That's Coyle. That's Lynch. With Merch. Why are you here? I don't think you believe me. Come on, man. I had a run in with a space engine. This fucking guy is crazier than the rest of us. <laughs> All right, and we're back, and I may not have time to bleed, but I've got time to go see the new Predator movie, Adam. The Predator. The Predator. And this is, where does this fall in the Predator? We've had several Predator movies since the classic 87 Schwarzenegger Predator. Where does this movie fall in the line of the Predator extended universe <laughs> well the word on top is that the alien versus predator movies do not count they are not canon oh bummer just chuck them in the garbage where they belong i know and the official chronology is predator okay predator 2 the predator 
and then Predators, which was the uh, Alex Rodriguez, not Alex Rodriguez, um, oh, Robert yeah. Rodriguez. Yes. That was his 2010 movie where they ended up on the Predator right. home world. Yep. So that's the chronology. This is the third movie in the line of story. Um, written by Shane Black and Fred Decker, directed by Shane Black. So the first question I have for you, Roger, is this a Shane Black movie? Yes. It, it, okay. Yes and no. And let me say it this way. It has his fingerprints on it. I would have, I'll just say right up front, I would have loved to have seen a full-blown Shane Black version of The Predator. I don't think we ended up getting that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the, yeah. in, in this review of the film. But yes, very funny. Um, for some reason, his his comedy just strikes me. And if you're wondering who Shane Black is, um, what are some of the films that he's been involved in, Adam? Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Nice Guys, The Monster Squad. The name that put him on the map was Lethal Weapon. He was a writer on the original Predator. He was also in it as Haskins. Yeah, Iron and, Man Three. Yeah, and so he uh, he actually. Um, he has a way of doing hardcore kind of action and then comedy or more intense violence and comedy mixed together. His two hallmarks are buddies. Like he invented the buddy cop movie. Right. And he always has kind of a funny camarader- camaraderie between his characters and then his witty dialogue. Yep. And, and, and the, you and can the, usually spot that. And, and for some reason, it just, he just strikes me the right way. It just hits my funny bone the right way. And so um, let me just say from the top, Predator is a really bad movie. It's very dumb. Yes. It's exceptionally stupid. Very dumb, very bad, horribly edited. We'll talk we'll we'll get into all of that here in just a minute. But there are some for me there were some genuine laugh out loud funny scenes in the movie, you know? Um and so for that, you know, we all came out of the theater our our gang of four of us that usually go and uh we came out and I think I was maybe maybe Blu-ray Bob was kind of positive as well too but for me I was the only one that was like well that was funny I really laughed out loud a lot you know one guy hated it absolutely hated it I was a little more indifferent on it the humor raised it above what it normally would have benefited just been the action you were probably the most positive yeah Bob was more middle of the roads. I mean, it was really a wide split among the four so, of us. So I think I've come to the realization when I when I review films and when I'm I'm looking at films critically and different things, I have, I just have different standards, and I think that's okay, you know, because I'm not going into this looking for a a a, a very uh, artur critical masterpiece of filmmaking and cinematography, and I'm not. I realize this is the predator. It's going to be action-packed. It's going to be funny. It's going to it's going to um, hit all the buttons I want. It's a pop end of summer popcorn movie for me, and so because I'm laughing a lot during the movie and during some of the scenes, I'm able to overlook a lot of the really blatant bad parts of this movie. Now, if this movie had not struck me funny, I would have just hated this movie because it really is a big hot mess in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um... You can't really follow the internal logic of this movie. Now, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but this was really chopped up by the studio. Right. The word we're seeing now is there was an executive order to cut 35 minutes out of the movie. And let me just say, that's obvious. It's extremely obvious. Characters show up with an RV. There's motorcycles that they're riding that just don't matter. They go missing. I mean, it just jumps around so much. And there's helicopters, huge... helicopters that show up out of nowhere. Yeah, there's huge logic issues and... It's hard to keep the geography of the movie straight because you start in Mexico, you end up in some suburb, maybe in California. In, in California, and I literally felt like 
if it would have had a an old 35 millimeter look, it would have felt like an old 70s grindhouse where they threw it together. And yeah. somewhere along the line, the film got burnt. And so the guy just takes four or five minutes off and clips and clips and puts it together. It literally, the editing is that bad. No continuity, no cross-cutting for any any purpose whatsoever. Um, no, it's completely linear. So yeah, it, it, it's totally linear from start yeah. to finish. Um, no character development whatsoever with any character. I mean, it's just really, really was rough. And I, it kind of hurts me a little bit because of Shane Black attached to this, you know. Um, but I wonder, he's not saying anything. I just wonder how much of this is just... I'll keep my mouth shut and I want to continue to work with the studio and eventually I'm going to get to make a movie I want to make. Yeah. Yeah, I think he wants to keep in Fox's good graces, so he's not complaining. I mean, I don't know that the edit was taken away from him, but this movie's chopped to hell. Whew. Yeah. And and maybe who knows? I mean, you just don't know. Maybe they got in, they looked at the two hour, ten minute cut and were like, This is a bloated mess. Yeah. We've got to change the pace. There's This isn't working. And sometimes you keep cutting and cutting and cutting, and the movie just gets worse and worse and worse. And the thing is, it, it, this is cut up so much that it's almost nonstop action. Yes. It really just goes from action scene to action scene. There's no connective tissue. And that results in some characters making narrative leaps that we wouldn't normally make. Like, it may have made sense in a longer cut, but characters make assumptions that we just can't back up. No, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Now, now... I think the cast is is okay, and I think there's even you know uh, Keegan Michael Key is in this. I really like him a lot. Olivia Munn is in this. Uh, Thomas Jane is in this. Um, th- there's some there's some good um, there's some good roles here. I mean, the, the, I think there was I think there was you saw enough decent performances that you saw the seeds of what could have been a really really good movie and funny and action packed. But it just misses big time. So the highlight of the movie for me was actually the loonies. Yes. So in the story, uh, Boyd Holbrook's character of McKenna is a knife, is an army sniper. He sees a predator. He gets kind of dragged into the government program to silence him. Right. And he gets thrown on a bus with other guys that are just going to counseling. These guys all have PTSD. They're all war criminals. And they're all crazy, and they're kind of fun. They call themselves the loonies. And, of course, they break out, and this is his new ragtag crew. But the chemistry and the jokes among them actually made the movie for me. That's the highlight. I I agree completely, Adam. Um, There's one scene in particular where Olivia Munn's character, Casey, shoots herself with a tranquilizer dart. She's in a hotel room with, you know, it's her and, like, what, five guys, five guys or whatever. And... They all, you know, they're soldiers. You know, here, here's one of those dialogues they give you to make sure exposition you don't need. You know, aren't you worried about her being in there? Well, those are soldiers in there with her. They're not going to hurt her, you know. But it's funny because they, they put all this stuff on her bed to try to make her feel comfortable and little tokens and little things, you know. And, um, and there's a very hilarious scene when she finally wakes up and they're making bets on what she'll do and all that. That's very funny, you know. But, but overall, Adam, thoughts about some of the other performances. Um, I want to get to Jacob Tremblay in just Poor a minute. Jacob. You know, um, so he, he skyrocketed to fame because of The Room. Yes. Or Room with Brie Larson. Um, he showed up in some other things. And he's the magic autistic kid in this movie. Yeah, and, and let me just say this for our listening audience. So you know, in the spirit of full disclosure, I have a son 
that is autistic. He's a little older. He's 20. So I have been involved and steeped in the autism community my whole life, and it's a huge part of my life. But I got to tell you, I just hate it. Something they, they, I love it when they show autistic kids, and it's done in, a, in just a good positive light. And this movie attempts to do that. It attempts to show that you know that autism is not a maybe it's not a disability. Maybe it's the next step in evolution. But it's like they've turned him into a superhero, an X Men, yeah. a you know. And, oh, it just made me just a little upset a little bit, you know. No, it makes a lot of parents upset. It's been referred to as autism is not a superpower. That's usually a commonly rephrased thing on the Internet. Yes. And some critics have pointed out, I mean, Spike Lee back in the day was upset about the Magic Negro character. Yeah, I know. That the character wasn't an interesting character, it was just a plot device. Yes. And that's what Jacob Tremblay is He is, is a plot movie. device, absolutely. Instead and of making him an interesting yes. character. Because even though... Even even what you know, the, Jacob Tremblay, the the character Rory, what he exhibits are some true autistic characteristics. They don't show you any of the negative side of autism. They don't show you any any of the real struggle that that a real kid with autism would have had in this scenario. You know, so that was kind of disappointing for me. But I I, I appreciate that Hollywood made the attempt to make it look positive and and to do that. That's you know I'm I'm happy for that. But. Yeah, poor Jacob. He was so good in the room, such a young talent, and I think it's just it just it's just a bad role here. Yeah, but, it's not but his fault. I will say, I will say, Jacob, he had the mannerisms down, the hand motions, the little ticks that they call the stem, the stems that that autistic kids do. He he really had it down, so that part was really good. Um, but yeah, the material he was given to work with and his superpower abilities is just a little far fetched, if you ask me. Yeah, and then you have Captain Exposition divided between two characters. Oh, it's yeah. Olivia Munn and Sterling K. Brown. Without them, we wouldn't know as much. They're just info dump characters. Yep, absolutely. So it's big budget movie, eighty some million, eighty eight. That's what they say, but it's clearly past a hundred because it's, it's easily, massive reshoots, and we can talk about that easily over hundred. So let's talk about some of the problems, the reshoots, some of the stuff that's went on with this film. From the information that's publicly available, we know that Edward James almost was removed from the movie. He was cut out. <laughs> We've seen blew me away. Yeah, we've seen pictures. There's, we're not spoiling anything because none of this is in the movie. Trust me, we could tell you. Okay. I can tell you the whole plot of this movie and it won't spoil it for you. Yeah. But there was a whole sequence apparently with Area 51 and two more live predators as we know them, the normal height ones from the original Predator. And there's there's pictures that they filmed the sequence of the guys with a tank and two friendly predators fighting the ultra predator. Right. And that's nowhere to be found in this movie. Nowhere. And Edward James almost is not in this film at all. Yeah. And he was a main character. Yeah, no, he doesn't appear at all. So I was floored. I'm like, what? He's in this. He's not in this movie. The third act jumps around. I mean, we go from a base to a crash site to a barn to another crash site to the finale. Yeah. And you just don't know what's going on to the woods. There's a chase in the woods. And there's a whole segue shot on top of the spaceship that obviously was only added because they could go in a green room and CGI it up. Yeah. And characters die so fast, you don't know even who it was. Major characters. Major characters. Split-second death, no reference later. Yeah, you know. So, oh, man, what a mess. I don't know that there was a good movie in there, even with the extended cut. Probably not. 
And it sounds like they started shooting this movie before they were ready because they actually changed the very last scene as well. They were trying to work out a cameo. It didn't happen. And then they did this finale that is terrible. Now, it's not even a stinger. It's not in the credits. But I can't imagine getting anyone's interest up for the next movie. No. They, they did their best to set up for the next Predator, and it just fell really, really flat. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry I cannot recommend The Predator, even though I laughed and enjoyed I mean, it's one of those where if it's on video on demand or rental or HBO or wherever it ends up landing, and it's a Saturday afternoon and you have it on, you might watch it for a couple funny laughs or something, but it's not... I would not recommend going to the theater and seeing it. No, and the big bad, the ultra predator, which is so uninteresting. Yes, and so he's C- bulletproof. He's explosion proof. I mean, CGI'd completely. He might as well just been Megatron or some transformer walking yeah, around. I agree wholeheartedly. So, well, we can, that's it for the predator. We cannot recommend it. It is a no go. Um, so, uh, we do have another movie to talk about that you probably, many of you listening to this podcast, may have never heard of before. And that's Mandy, the new independent film starring Nicolas Cage. So let's drop in and hear just a sampling of what Mandy is about. And then we'll come back. You're listening to The Film Coterie. So what are you going to do with that thing? We're going hunting. So what you want? It's crazy evil. You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. Oh man, they robbed you. It glowed from within, strange and eternal. All right, we are back, and it's time to talk about Mandy. Mandy. Mandy, Mandy. Mandy, Mandy. <laughs> the second feature from Panos Cosmatos. If you've never heard that name, then you must not have seen his first feature, which was Beyond the Black Rainbow. It came out about eight years ago. It was a midnight movie, very trippy. Have not seen it. And it left me kind of disappointed. But, you know, as soon as I walked out of Beyond the Black Rainbow, I was like, I'm, I'm down for whatever this guy shoots next. I mean, I was very interested in his visual style. His style of storytelling and presentation was very similar to Jodorowsky. These yeah. are midnight movies with heavy themes. Yeah. So, so if, if you haven't ever really done the crazy midnight movies, the stuff that's not... I mean, th- this movie's not rated. This movie di- wasn't even submitted to the MPAA for a rating, no. you yeah. know? And so this is an independent art house, grind house kind of, you know, it's, it's a revenge flick. I mean, it's easy to just say this is Nicolas Cage. Something bad happens. He seeks revenge because of that. And it's trippy. It's out there, man. And um, it's not for everybody. I would never take my wife to see this movie, Mandy. You know, this this is not a this is not even close to a mainstream film. No. 
But I'll tell you, there's something about this film and films like this when done right are mesmerizing on the screen that are incredible. I've seen a couple Jodorowsky films and dude, that dude's out there crazy. I mean, he's out there. They're very trippy as well, too, you know. Um, and but I think Mandy is I put him above those films. I got to just be honest with you. I liked Mandy a lot. Um Something about it just not going through a Hollywood studio and just being a man's vision and getting the funding for it. and Completely see, uncompromised, and see, as we can tell. Just do whatever the hell you want to do with this film and you make your movie, no compromises whatsoever, was refreshing. This, this, uh, and I'm doing a lot of talking, so talk a little bit more about Mandy and your thoughts, Adam, and I'll shut up because I, I could talk all day about this film. So midnight movies are designed to be an experience. They're best seen with a crowd. Maybe you have one or two beers in you. Maybe some people may engage in some other substances before seeing this movie. It's going to yield an experience. There's a driving stoner core kind of metal soundtrack. The visuals have a pulse to them. It's very yes. in and out visually. Yep. Lots of red and blue. A lot the of, movie's almost designed to put you into a trance like some of the characters are. A lot Very of, hypnotic. Yeah, a lot of heavy synth sounds, synth, you, know, you know, played by a keyboard, heavy synth. Um, think like the latest Dune on steroids, you know, really just out there wavy and flashing images and stuff and uh, um, very trippy, absolutely. And the movie revolves around an acid trip. Because there's an LSD where one of the characters says, you do it once and you're never right again. It's super powerful LSD. There's a cult leader. And like I said, it's all just designed to be an experience. But the good thing about most Midnight's is there's the surface level narrative. And this is a very simple revenge story. Right. But there's so much just right underneath the the layer that if you want to look, there's a lot of themes here. Oh, a lot man. of interesting exploration. Lots of stuff in the corners. These always make welcome rewatches. The, you know, this is a movie that I will watch five or six times and I will see really deep, incredible things probably each time that I just didn't catch the first time, you know. And to find out that he considers this and Beyond the Black Rainbow as kind of like bookends, part one and part two, are yeah, two he, different sides. Explain a little bit about that, Adam. So from what the director is saying after the release of this movie is that beyond the black rainbow was supposed to be the inhale. This is the exhale. There's a lot more happening in this. There's a pressure release in this as the revenge story unfolds. We're being called to action where beyond the black rainbow was a little more inaction. Also beyond the black rainbow is about science. This one is definitely about religion. Yep. You know, and, and, and I really struggled because, <laughs> you know, I, I write a blog called faith and film, you know, a uh, little pl plug here, faithandfilm.blog. And what I do is I, 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 besides writing for the Film Coterie, I write this blog and I try to explore themes of spirituality, religious themes in film, you know. And this movie is full of that. I mean, yeah. I, I could write 500 words and not even bat an eye on the religious aspects of this film. But the problem is, is that I a lot of my audience is just, you know, your basic good old middle American Christian fans, you know, and this is not a movie for them, you know. And that's the problem with Midnight's like, so if I'm going to introduce someone to horror, you know, I might start with Poltergeist, Jaws, you know, there's intro movies. Yes. 
I don't know an intro midnight movie. There's every not. every in- midnight movie I can think of is is the deep end. You gotta be. You gotta have just a hair crazy inside you. A little bit of. You just gotta be bent just a little different to really get into a midnight movie. And I guess I must be. I don't know. I don't well, know. And you have to give yourself over to it. Yes. You can't really just be a passive watcher. Yeah. But and here's the thing though. You know, I know we joke about you need to have a few beers in you and maybe you need to take a little LSD for you to go watch the film or whatever. I don't do any of that stuff, you know? And this movie mesmerized me. This movie just drew me in and I was like, "Man, this is the visuals in this are incredible. The that this guy, I can't even say his name, this director. Panos Cosmatos. Not to be not to be confused with who? Not to be confused with Yorgos Lanthimos, who brought us <laughs> Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster. Which are both great movies, yes, by they the way. Are. So this Panos guy, he will hold the camera excruciatingly long time on one thing. And and he'll do the most incredibly slow push that you don't even notice the camera's moving. And you're like, okay, we're so used in an American film to you just jump to another scene. Three seconds and you're on to something else. The camera's moving. It's cutting a different film, a different. No, this is a slow prodding. You know, drink the sip this in, take this in, experience this. Use of sound was incredible. The use of lighting is incredible. This is just, and I'm just going to say it right now, by far, for me, best performance by Nicolas Cage ever. Best performance. There are a couple scenes that we can, I would point out. Uh, one of them is the bathroom scene we, we might talk about. But just, I mean, I don't know anybody else that could have done this done no. this role. And it's kind of surprising. Cage. It wasn't written for him. Nicholas Cage was pursued to be the cult leader, Jeremiah. But now that you've seen Mandy in the form, we've seen it. He's the perfect lead. This oh, is pure gosh. Cage. And it plays to his manic sensibilities. Yeah. Where he's willing to take stuff so far and portray his rage so openly and everything else. It plays to all of his strengths, and he's the perfect character for this film. And you know we we and, and I want to come back to the layers of of the um, the Maison Sin the the I want to come back to the motif of this and talk about some of the layers there in a minute. But I want to stay here with Nicolas Cage. That scene, there's a scene where he just hits bottom for anger, grief, emotional distress. He goes into a bathroom and finds a hidden fifth of whiskey or vodka. I don't know some kind of alcohol. He finds this hidden bottle, and he's already been through the mill to that point. He's bloodied. He's up, you know, and and there's about five or five or six, seven minutes of this scene that is one cut, one take. The camera never. It's like you are in the bathtub watching this whole thing happen. Mm-hmm. It never moves. The camera never. And the performance that Cage gives is the best performance I've seen on screen this year by an actor. He is manic. He's in tears, bawling. He's screaming and raging. He he's he's completely lost it for a second. You know, I mean, that's why we I get up and go to the theaters every week to see this an incredible performance like that. Now we should point out this movie's on VOD now. It was day and date release. Yes. There's no debate for me. If this is in a theater in your area this weekend, it's so much better in the theater. You want to see it with the best best sound, the best picture. And again, that theater magic of being isolated. We don't watch movies the same way at home. We may tell ourselves we do, but we don't. Yep. 
when you're in a theater, all the other, you just focus in on the movie. Anything else that might distract you goes to the wayside and you can give yourself over to it. Well, I bought this day one when it came out and I started twice to watch it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get interrupted. No, I can't. I want the house. I'm, I need to start this at midnight or 1130 when the house is dead quiet because I want to watch this with no interruptions whatsoever. And it feels right at the time period anyway because it's very dreamlike and nightmarish and dreamlike and nightmarish. It kind of goes back and forth. It's it's very, it's a perfect midnight movie. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's a new cult classic. I have no doubt in two or three years that this will be playing couple times a year at midnight in your local art house theater absolutely now let's go back let's backtrack because there is so many layers to this story in the sense of there's a heavy fantasy like mass market pop sci-fi fantasy books yeah exactly a a, a fantasy motif that you wonder are we still on earth Mm -hmm. are we not are we on another planet somewhere there is a shift into, I'll, I'll, okay, spoiler alert, shift into animation during this movie yep. that is incredible. Um, you don't know, are you just having a big acid trip along with the main character for this? You know, is this just a nightmare? Someone pointed out it's the most heavy metal movie ever made if you go off those motifs because he forges an axe. There's that driving soundtrack. He goes after demon bikers. It's oh. the, the heavy metal fantasy that we see on album covers. Absolutely. It it is. um, It's not a perfect movie. Okay, I have some things that that I that I was I left I was left a little wanting. And that's only because acts one and two are so good in this movie that act three left me a little bit short. You know, I didn't get to experience the the uh, thrill of the. uh, uh, the satisfaction of the, the full revenge, because a lot of things are implied, shown off screen, and when when he is when he is when in act end of act one beginning of act two when you know things are taken away from him. I'm trying not to spoil when things are taken away from him and he's beaten up and left for dead and all that. You get to see that in all its full glory, you know. Um, the violence against women is really good because this the, the, there's not I don't remember seeing any male attack of women so it's a very violent movie but it does not denigrate women in any way you know so these women have obviously been affected Mandy's got a scar but for some reason the, I mean you know it's worth debating the director doesn't depict any violence against women throughout the film there is some female on female violence but the men have obviously impacted these women we just don't see it that's left to the sides yeah. Um, so yeah, th- this is a, so I, the third act left me a little wanting. I, I wish it would have, um, really brought the, I wish they'd have just went for it and just, just show, just like they showed it at the end of act one. I wish they would have went for it at the end of act three. Um, well, a good comparison here I've heard people talking about is if you look at, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99. Yes. That takes forever to get started. The first two acts are super long. But when he starts going on the revenge course, the movie takes off and doesn't stop, and it's very satisfying. Pays off in a great way. So this movie, Mandy, has a stronger first and second act than Brawl and Cell Block 99. It's just not as pleasing or satisfactory as maybe the end of Brawl and Cell Block 99 as far as revenge films go. Yeah. Um, 
And there's something to be said for these midnight-style movies that really, uh, I'm thinking of the one with Robert Pattinson in it as well, Good Time. Good Time. Is excellent as well, too, you know. Uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 is is great. Uh, And now we have Mandy to add to the list of just phenomenal uh, art house, independent. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this podcast and you just like mainstream, if you just, all you ever do is go to the Friday night Megaplex and see what's playing and you're happy there, I would not, I don't know if I'd recommend you go see Mandy. I'm just telling you up front, don't don't catch me out in the wild somewhere and say, why did you recommend Mandy for me? That movie was terrible. Yeah. It's not for everyone. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not, but I'm telling you one thing, it is, it just really um, impacted me in a really incredible way, and I was like, man, what, what an acting performance by Nicolas Cage. Let me ask you this. So Roger and I keep our best of lists. Throughout the year, we update it. Just so at the end of the year, I can look back at a smaller list of films that I've considered the best of the year. Did you have any hesitation putting Mandy on your best of list? Not at all. Right like, in, as soon as yeah. I left the theater, I knew. Yeah, right in the top 10 for me. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if it stays there, but right in the top 10 for me, no hesitation to put it on my best of 2018 list. Yeah, me neither. I knew it as soon as it was over. Oh, a- absolutely. I, I just... I couldn't believe what I had just experienced. I went to a 9 a.m. showing. So Roger and I were the polar opposites. I saw it at the packed house, 7 o'clock, full of Cage fans. And you saw it in a more subdued 9 a.m. view. 9 a.m. The way my schedule works, I had a couple hours in the morning before I had to get to work and do some things in the afternoon. 9 a.m. showing at my local independent gateway, independent film center. And um, there was about a dozen people there. And it was good. It was a good viewing, man. It was... was, uh, I, I kind of liked that I didn't get the disturbances from the crowd because yeah. I, I, I literally fully committed myself to the movie. Well, anything else, Adam, with uh, Mandy? I bought it. As soon as I got home, I purchased it on iTunes, and I'm going to watch it again here soon. Yep. If you've heard of Jodorowsky, if you've seen Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, beyond, beyond the Black Rainbow. Beyond, yeah. beyond the Black Rainbow. Um, if you like stuff that's out there a little bit. If you like stuff that's independent, experimental. If you like experimental stuff, I cannot recommend Mandy to you anymore. Yep. Oh, it's great. Great movie. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back to our last segment of Coming Attractions. You're listening to The Film Coterie. And we're back, and this is our coming attraction segment, our last segment in the podcast here. And uh, with you heading off to Fantastic Fest, uh, we're going to have a couple weeks, you know, just about two and a half weeks where you're not around and available, Adam. We are not going to be back in the studio till October. So, I mean, follow me on social media. I'll be posting my, my capsule reviews for what I'm seeing at Fantastic Fest. It should be about 30 films that I'm very excited about. And then I'm very jealous about 30 films in eight days. Yeah. That's awesome. And then early October, we have Venom. More importantly, we have A Star is Born, Halloween. There's a yeah. lot of exciting movies coming out. Yep, a lot of good stuff. And uh, I may see if you, you may get a bonus episode of the Film Coterie Classics Edition. I have been um, venturing back into the world of the Indiana Jones trilogy. 
And so uh, my good friend Kevin, who is a classics expert, him and I may get together and give you a little bonus coverage of all three of the films, you know. Um, that might be something fun we do just to throw in. But for those of the uh, who are new to the podcast, how can they follow you, Adam, and keep up with the Fantastic Fest coverage? And how can they connect with us on the social media inter- interwebs? Yeah, so for Fantastic Fest, I'm likely to be most active on Twitter and Instagram. So just look for the handle at Film Coterie. Like I said, I'll be posting my quick capsule reviews on both of those. Uh, for longer coverage, we always have our website, filmcoterie.com, where we put up our reviews. And we also have a Facebook page, uh, Film Coterie. It's just facebook.com at Film Coterie. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Uh, you guys have a great couple of weeks. And go to the movies. Get on Facebook. Tell us what you've seen and what you liked, what you didn't like. Tell us whether you agree or disagree with our assessments of these films. Uh, have a great couple of weeks. We'll be back next time on The Film Coterie.